Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 102 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 10th of March 2013, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 34. And the Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'd like to open your Bibles this morning. I'm going to read several passages, but we'll begin with Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. While you're turning there, let me wish all the mothers a happy Mother's Day today. It is a special day that's set aside to honor motherhood, and I can promise you that uh, everybody here is either a mother or they have a mother. And uh, so uh, trust and pray that, uh, that uh, you mothers have a very special day and that the rest, you have opportunity uh, to let your mother know how much that she means to you. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's holy word as we begin in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Father, we thank you again today. Lord, for the time that we've had together, the time that we still have to be together, we thank you, Lord, for your word that we have before us. Lord, we thank you for your spirit that we have that you've promised will guide us, will teach us. And Lord, you know the hearts of each individual here this morning. And Father, right now, we just pray that, Lord, to each one that hears these words, that by the power of your Spirit, you may speak to their heart that which is needed this day. Lord, we are so very, very aware, Lord, of our inabilities. But Father, we praise God for your ability. Lord, we recognize our weakness, but we thank you for your strength. So now as we commit this time into your hands, may you speak to our hearts as only you can. May we be receptive and responsive in whatever way we need to be. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. As we continue in our series, as we have looked at these many, many passages and thoughts concerning the church over these, this past year. And of course, in these most recent weeks, as we have considered the functions of that church, and we looked first of all at the ministry of worship, and we've been looking now at the ministry of witness. For you that haven't been here, we have looked at a number of things concerning the ministry of witness that it is crucial. It is the only way that Christians come to be and the only way that the church exists. That's how it all started, with the witness of the gospel. 
It's central to everything that the church does. Our witness of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished. All the other messages without that one really matter little. The ministry of witness is one that is commanded of our Lord. It is compassionate. It's Christian and Christ-like, which is what the church should be. We've said in light of the fact that it's all those things and that being so important that it requires some things of us, that it requires commitment, and it requires cooperation, and it requires communion. Now, I'd like to read these verses, and the verses that we just read from Matthew chapter 28 We found there in verse 18 that it was Jesus that said, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. All power is his. And then as he begins verse 19, Go ye therefore, because of that fact, as you recognize that all power is given to me in heaven and earth, I want you to go. And then he tells us in the latter part of verse 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. So yes, the ministry of witness is one that we've seen here that is, that is commanded of us. But we notice something in this passage that we're going because of the power that is in the Lord Jesus Christ and that he is the one that is with us. We see next in the Gospel of Mark, we read the passage from verses 15 to 18. Jesus, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these shall follow them that believe in my name, he says. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Jesus is saying as they go, the things that are going to happen, whether it was the apostles at that day or whether it's you and I today, we go in the name of Jesus Christ. It's only in his name that anything can and will be accomplished. We find in the next gospel in Luke chapter 24, and he says this in verses 46 to 49. And said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached, notice the next three words, in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, notice the next words, I send the promise of my Father upon you. We know that promise. We've studied that when we talked back in in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, Jesus promised that when he went, he was sending another, the comforter, the paraclete, to come alongside. This is the promise of the Father. He says, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. He's sending them out to be a witness. But he's telling them very, very clearly, 
that it must be in his name that he's sending the promise of the Father upon them and that they need to wait until that power from on high has come upon them because that's the only way they can accomplish this task. The Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 21 and 22, then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. I'm sending you in the same way that the Father sent me. But that which they needed to accomplish that was God himself in the person of the Holy Ghost. And then one of the passages we find the commission given to us, not only in all four of the Gospels, but also in the book of Acts, chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, the Bible says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but listen, wait for the promise of the Father. What was the promise of the Father? The Holy Spirit, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Notice he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. They ask him a question. Jesus says, there's some things that it's not for you to know. There's some things, he says, that are in the Father's power alone. But notice his next statement. But ye, even though there's some things that you don't know the answers to, there's some things that are in God's power alone, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We said a number of things about these passages last week, but what I want to remind you is that in this ministry of witness, we said that if this ministry is to be effective in any way, in every place that we're told to go, we're also told that the only way that we can go, the only way the work is going to be accomplished is in His power, in the name of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way. We cannot. We cannot save anyone. We cannot change anyone. We can only give them the truth of the Word. We can only go and be the witnesses. And we looked at a number of things there, and we said that, first of all, as we consider these things that, you know, these things that are required of us was not only commitment, not only cooperation, but this thing of communion. You see, the only way that this comes is through prayer. We looked last week at how that it was necessary. It was necessary to have communion, to have prayer, to, to seek God's presence and God's power for ministry. But I want to say to you secondly this morning that we must also have communion with God. 
Folks, we need to pray earnestly just as we do. You know, all the ministries in the world are worthless without the power of God. The power of God is not going to be upon a people that are not communing with him. That's the only way that it's going to come down. That's not the only thing, but that is the necessity of it. We need to be praying because, you see, the truth is, is that it not, it's not just our ministries here that we're to be involved with. What was it? In Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. You see, we also need to be communing with God earnestly and urgently for missionaries. For God to send forth laborers. There are millions of people in this world today that have never one time heard the gospel message. We need to pray for God. We saw this earlier in Luke chapter 10 and in verse 2. Therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. This is God's work. This is God's harvest. He's the only one that can save souls. We are to go, and we're to go with that message. But the simple truth is, is that we've got to pray for God to send forth those labors. It's not just people doing things. It's people that God is sending to do his work with his power. We need to be praying earnestly that God would send forth labors. You know what? You've got to be careful because you're not going to pray earnestly for God to send forth laborers if you're not willing to be one of those laborers yourself. Are you really, really willing? Lord, the work is there. Your power is there. You've promised to do it. Lord, send forth those that can be used to accomplish this work for you. We've already seen that simple prayer that Isaiah prayed when he says, here am I in me. You see, we need to be communing with God. The harvest is great, but the simple truth is, is that most people, sorry, most people are too busy. <laughs> most people have got their own lives to live. Most people have got to, and they know God's not sending everybody out there to the ends of the earth, to the mission fields. We find that the truth is, though, is that we need to be praying that God would send forth laborers here and there. We also saw it when Christ saw the multitudes. We saw that when he was moved with compassion. We read that passage back in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. And we talked about that. Why? Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. But the Bible goes on from there in verse 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You see, we need to pray. We need to pray for God to send forth laborers 
into the harvest. We also need to pray for those whom God has already called forth. The importance of praying for our missionaries, of praying for those that are out there serving the God, it cannot be overstated when we consider the great needs that are there, the harvest that is waiting, the work that needs to be accomplished wherever they are in the world, whether they're right here in the city of Birmingham or whether the farthest point on that globe away from us. Folks, all the willingness and all the money in the world will accomplish nothing on any of those mission fields with any of those people without the power of God. And that is obtained through communion with God in prayer. He's told us to pray for them, to pray for them to be sent forth. I'd remind you again of the passage that we looked at in Colossians chapter 4. In Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, the Word of God says this. He says, continue in Prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Colossa, and he's telling them, first of all, continue in prayer, keep praying, and keep giving thanks. And he says, with all, praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. The Apostle Paul was a missionary. The Apostle Paul, a man that God used to, to pen more of the New Testament than anybody else. The Apostle Paul knew that he needed the prayers of the saints. He needed the prayers of the church in order for those doors to be open, in order for those missionary endeavors to be effective. You see, our missionaries today need the same. They need those same prayers. I want to read you a poem. It was written by a lady by the name of Sandra Goodwin because, you see, as we look around our congregation today, there are many, male and female, different backgrounds, different cultures, different ages from young to old. Certainly, God has different jobs for all of us, a different work for us to accomplish, but yet we're all part of this same body. The poem says this, says, last night I took a journey to a land far across the seas. I didn't go by boat or plane. I trusted on my knees. I saw so many people there in deepest depths of sin, and Jesus told me I should go, that there were souls to win. But I said, Jesus, I can't go and work with such as these. He answered quickly, yes, you can, by traveling on your knees. He said, you pray, I'll meet the need. You call and I will hear. Be concerned about lost souls of those both far and near. And so I tried it 
knelt in prayer, gave up some hours of ease. I felt the Lord right by my side while traveling on my knees. As I prayed on and saw souls saved and twisted bodies healed and saw God's workers' strength renewed while laboring on the field, I said, yes, Lord, I have a job. My desire, thy will to please. I can go and heed thy call by traveling on my knees. Don't underestimate the power and the ministry of prayer, of what we're calling communion here, because everything else is powerless without it. You see, we need to commune with God in prayer for all of our ministries, for our missionaries, and yes, even for the means, the money, if you would. We shy away from that one many times, but you know, as we've seen, our commitment, not only to going, but to giving is important. And if it is important, then it should be a requirement. It's necessary that we pray earnestly concerning our stewardship of all that God has blessed us with, that he's entrusted us with. We need to commune with God about it. We can get it all wrong, folks, but God will lead us. We need to pray for wisdom and guidance in where those gifts are used. We need to pray for our own faithfulness in what we give, not to allow other things to become more important than the winning of lost souls. We certainly need to pray here at Bethel for our faith promise, for God to show us clearly what, not what we can do, but what He wants to do through us, what He will accomplish through us that we can't do ourselves because we are so limited, but we serve a limitless God. For God to supply that which is beyond us, that is beyond our abilities, that is beyond our means by his own hand. Do we believe God would do that? I'm saying to you today, folks, we need to be praying earnestly. We miss such a blessing so many times because we're just not trusting and putting it in his hand. We can be earnest and we can be sincere and we can be genuine in doing all that we can, and that's good but we serve a God that's much bigger than us. The same God that has sent us to do this task, to win the loss to Christ, is the same God that promised to go with us. He's the same God that told us not to go without his power. He's the same one that encourages us through his word to pray, to be willing ourselves, to pray for others, to pray that God would show us and use us and, and do what he wants to do through us. Why? Because, friends, more than anything in the world, the gospel needs to go to every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. We need to commune with God in prayer. For ministry, for missionaries, for the means to accomplish the work. We need to commune with Him for men. I'm speaking of mankind. Every man, woman, boy, and girl who are lost and without Christ in this world. The Bible says it's the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man that availeth much. You see, if we've got this other part, if we truly are feeling the compassion that Christ did, if we feel, if we genuinely care rather than just talk about caring, 
then that's going to come from within us. We need to be taking that to God. The Scriptures teach us over and over and over. Notice what the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Notice what he says here. He says, I exhort thee that, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness or honesty, whether you agree with the party or whether you agree with their, their programs or whatever, we're to pray for those that are in authority. Well, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Listen, why does he want us praying for all men? He says in verse 4, Who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, Whereunto, Paul said, I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath, without doubting. You see, we need to pray, folks. The simple truth is it's the prayers that will break those hearts of stone. God sent his son to die for all that have sinned. But we need to be praying for those souls. Communion with God through prayer, it's essential. It's an absolute necessity if this ministry of witness is to be effective at all. It's through the prayer of faith that we'll find the power to go to this world with the witness of that precious gospel, the power to see the Word of God through the power of the Spirit change lives through the new birth, the power of victory over all of Satan's attempts to stop us, the ministry of witness. It's crucial, it's central, it's commanded, it's compassionate, it's Christian. That means it requires commitment. It requires cooperation, and it requires communion. Communion, yes, for ministry, for missionaries, for means, for men everywhere. And on this special day that we call Mother's Day, I want you to know that it requires another kind of communion as well. I want to read you something first. I want to ask you a simple question. In this ministry of witness, what does God want you to do? You see, it's easy sometimes to look around and say, well, this person could do that and this person could do that, but what does God want you to do specifically right now? A missionary wrote these words they're quite astounding when you think about what he said. He said, but for me personally, being anything but a missionary would be second best. You see, if God calls you to do that, 
There's nothing greater in all the world. Perhaps a story I recall hearing years ago explains it best. It seems the old Standard Oil Company offered an enormous sum of money to a missionary in China to come to work for them, to help them with the development of Standard Oil in China because he was there and he had built these relationships and they, they wanted to use him. But the missionary turned them down. They came back and, and even this enormous sum of money that they'd offered him, they doubled that. They offered him this just to get his help. He turned them down again. So they asked him this simple question. They said, what is it that you want? I mean, we're offering you so much money, it's not possible to offer anybody more money than that. His words was this. He said, the money doesn't have anything to do with it. The job you're offering me is too small. You see, he was working for a much greater, not only a much greater authority, but a far more important work than that oil company could ever accomplish. The ministry of witness is vital. It's important for ministry, for missionaries, for means, for men, and also on this special day, may I say, for motherhood and marriage. You say, well, preacher, where, where in the world does that come from? Well, hopefully from God and his perfect timing. I hadn't originally planned on it being at this point in my sermon. I'd have planned on addressing the subject, but God said this is the place. You see, it is Mother's Day today. And so I think this topic has particular relevance. Also, it's a topic that maybe wouldn't even have had to have been a part of this sermon not too many years ago. But we live in the times that we live in now. And I believe that it's of utmost importance to the operation of a true New Testament church. If that church is functioning as a New Testament church ought to, and certainly, it's important to the witness of that church. You see, as we have talked about all these things, we understand that certainly the, the, the primary function of the church is its witness of Jesus Christ through the gospel. But of course, we've noted a few times through this also that that witness is far more than just our words. We witness to the truth of Jesus Christ in the gospel. But are we, are we like Christ in our lifestyles? Are we like Christ in the way that we are dealing with others? Even when those that deserve it the least. <laughs> Even when those that may be rational, you could come up with every reason in the world. You know, the Lord's the one that said to pray for them that despitefully use you. I mean, when they're on purpose trying to hurt you, love them, pray for them. You see, if we're the visible body of Christ in this world, do people see at least a bit of Jesus Christ when they, when they see our lives? If not, something's missing in what we're doing. 
Something's missing in the way that we're living. We live in a day when society around us is changing, but I believe on a day that's to honor mothers, that it's very relevant. You see, I wonder if the world sees Christ when they look around at the lifestyles of this world, when they see the lifestyles of fornication, of adultery, of homosexuality. You say, preacher, but what's that got to do with it? Because, folks, the sin of homosexuality goes straight in the face of everything that motherhood and, and the sanctity of marriage represents. I know it's controversial. I know that people say you shouldn't talk about it. I know that there are so many are saying that it's just a, an acceptable alternative lifestyle. I know that even in the churches that the examples are even being set from the pulpits of those that are supposedly leading and setting these examples. Does the world see Christ and his truth when we live in a day not only of the homosexuality running rampant, but when we find that gay marriage is on the agenda, that it's something that has just become acceptable, that it's considered to be perfectly normal, that it's believed to be just as valid in God's eyes as the marriage of a man and a woman? God forbid. God forbid that we should ever think so. I know it's controversial, but remember this. Does God love sinners? Does God love the homosexuals? I say to you without any shadow of a doubt, did Jesus Christ die for them? Absolutely just like he died for every other sinner of the world that we've just seen that it's God's will that all of them would be saved. He died for every sinner's sin, and that includes fornication and murder, and it includes homosexuality. He died that those sins might be forgiven, that men might turn from their sin, not to condone sin, not to continue in sinful lifestyles, whatever they might be. That's not the teaching of the Word of God. Surely, in a day when this kind of sin abounds around us, many would say, just close your eyes and pretend it's not happening and go your merry way. Is that the way the church should operate? In a matter that is so important to the function of his witness, you see, it seems right, it seems right that we honor mothers. God honors mothers. God said, honor your father and your mother. God honors motherhood, and so should we. And I'm not going to labor the point today, but I want you to see from Scripture, God's Word is very clear on this matter. And on a day that we're celebrating motherhood, I'm saying to you that the witness 
of the true church. You may not be able to do anything physically, but we're talking about communing with God here. God's people ought to be on their face before God praying. We ought to have compassion. We ought to care. We're not talking about not caring. Folks, you're not doing any sin or any favor anywhere by pretending that their sin is okay. By saying, just go ahead and be a Christian, but just continue in your sin and don't deal with it. No. What kind of love is that? When one day they stand before a holy God and they face him with that sin that has not been dealt with. That's not true love. That's certainly not what the church should be doing. You see, I'm not going to turn back and read for the sake of time. This is, homosexuality is not something that's new to us. We first read of it in the Bible in Genesis chapter 19. You know what we read about in that account? It was when these angels came to visit Lot, and they were there, and they came into the city, and Lot invited them into his house, and they said, no, we'll stay in the streets. He brought them in, and he brought them in, and then there was this group from all over the city, the Bible says, that came knocking on the door. The Bible teaches us that they actually wanted those men. They didn't know they were angels. (laughs) They wanted those men in order to be able to have homosexual relations with them. We find a lot of things take place there, but I'll tell you what the end result of that was. That was one of the great sins that brought down the fire and the brimstone upon that city, bringing about its complete destruction. That's where it led to. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. Listen, folks, the Bible doesn't pull any punches here. And I find it absolutely amazing that Christians in the seats and in the pulpits can stand back and say it doesn't matter. Leviticus 18, 22 says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. That word abomination is a strong word, (laughs) It shows that God utterly detests it, that he sees it as as something that's so evil that he he loathes it. You see, in God's law, unquestionably, universally, it is against the law of God. It's such an abomination that under the Old Testament law is worthy of the death penalty. Leviticus 20, 13, if a man also lie with mankind as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Now, yes, some would say, well, preacher, that's the Old Testament. We live under grace now. We live in the New Testament. Yes, and we ought to thank God. Thank God that we are under that grace. Thank God that we are no longer stoning people for their sins today as under the Old Testament law. Thank God that Jesus, when the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery, when Jesus said, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. See, they were there to stone her to death, okay? But let the one without sin cast the first one. But you see, that grace of God, it doesn't change sin being sin. You see, that same adulteress that he told the group, that one that which was out sin, throw the first stone, 
What did he say to the adulteress? Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. He didn't say just carry right on. It doesn't matter. Nobody else can stone you. Nobody else can that. You just go right on and live your sinful lifestyle. He says, no, go and sin no more. We find that the book of Romans is very graphic indeed. I'm not going to read all the passages. If you're taking notes, I'll give you a few places that you can turn and you can read your own, but I'll read this one. It says in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 24, he says this. This helps us to understand because recognize this, folks. Most of the world around us doesn't see this as sin. They think it's okay. They think it's, it really is an acceptable lifestyle. The Bible says, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Listen, for this cause God gave them up into vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, worship, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. That was being written in the first century, maybe some 60 years following the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2,000 years later, folks, this is not new. The Bible addresses it very boldly. You can write down these passages because we don't have time to read them this morning. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, speaking of this same sin, he said they needed to be washed. They needed to be sanctified. They needed to be justified in the name of Jesus by the Spirit of God. God loved them so much that he died for them. But they need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. They need to be sanctified and cleansed by the Holy God through his word. We find that if you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, notice these couple of verses beginning in verse 8. He says, But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, 
for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Folks, God loves them. We began our series on contending for the faith in the book of Jude. I would remind you that in Jude, verse 7 of that book, we read these words, which said, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. The Bible could not be clearer. How can we, on the one hand, honor mothers and honor motherhood, and by the same token, not stand where God's Word stands on these matters? You see, God's plan for human relationships was very, very different. Because we not only see the sinfulness of homosexuality, but God's Word gives us the sanctity of marriage. The very first of all of human institutions, it originated with God. It was ordained by God. Matter of fact, it's the very basis of not only the welfare, but the continuance of the human race. Hebrews 13, 4 says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. You see, there's only one place that the bed is undefiled, and that's within the bounds of marriage. No exceptions. As God meant it to be, Folks, it's not a dirty thing. It's not a nasty thing. It is a beautiful thing. It's outside of what God meant it, that it becomes ugly because it becomes sinful before God. God designed us. God meant for us to have intimate relationships, but only between a man and a woman and only within the bounds of marriage. God himself instituted marriage. <laughs> According to the Bible, it was at least the first reason, not the only reason, mind you, but the first reason that God had for creating woman. In Genesis chapter 2, notice what the Word of God says beginning in verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Ladies, God knew that we couldn't make it on our own. He knew we'd really make a mess of this thing. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. 
And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had made for man, that he had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. You see, man and woman joined together. This cleaving here, it's like we talk about when you weld two things together. No longer two, but they're one. You can't separate them. God meant it to be forever. There are many verses that talk about that, but that's not our point this morning. What I want you to recognize is this, is that biblically, there is without question, there is one place and one place alone for intimate relationships to take place. First of all, that's between a man and a woman. No exceptions. And not only that, but it's between a man and a woman that have been joined in holy matrimony. No exceptions. That's the way God planned it. That's the way God designed it. That's the way that God meant for it to be even today. Any relationship, any intimate relationship outside of that is fornication and adultery, whether it be homosexual or heterosexual. It's a sin. It's not to be participated in. It's not to be condoned. It's not to be taken lightly. Sin requires repentance. That's seeing that sin as God sees it and turning and fleeing from it. It requires forgiveness. Forgiveness that can only come through the blood of Jesus Christ by the grace of God through faith. You see, folks, we honor the sanctity of marriage. God's plan for the family. And it reminds us specifically this final point I want to give you this morning of the specialness of motherhood. The specialness of motherhood. You see, I'm not sure I can think of any more special position in life for a mother than that role of being a mother. I know that God doesn't purpose for every woman to be a mother in the natural sense, just as he doesn't purpose for every man and every woman to be married. That doesn't make your purpose any less in life. It doesn't make it any less important. But if you are married, and if you are a mother, there is no part of your life that's more special than that. God's purpose for you is great. Whatever that it might be, whatever he wills, if God allows you to be a mother, surely it's something of the highest honor. <laughs> the same is true of fathers, yes. It takes God's special relationship. That sanctity of marriage is what it should take. We find that along with it comes many obligations as well as the honor. At the creating of man and woman in the garden, do you know that God's very first instruction to them was to be fruitful. In Genesis chapter 1, 
Notice what he says in verse 27 and 28. This was before he told them not to eat of the tree. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And the first thing God said to them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That was God's plan. That's the way the human race continues because of sin. Because of sin. Unfortunately, it became something that brought with it some sorrow as well. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. You see, unto the woman, because of the sin, that sorrow was multiplied. The sorrow comes just before an unspeakable joy something that you can't explain in words, something when you see that new child, the birth of that child into this world. You see, I don't know what childbirth would have been like without sin, ladies. <laughs> it would have been a much more pleasant experience. But even with all that sorrow, with all that pain, you see, that's what a mother does. That's what brings her to that point of holding that special creation in her hands. There's much we could say about motherhood, about how special it is, that special love and bonds that, that accompanies it, the awesome responsibilities that go with it. But what I really want to remind you of this morning, in everything that we've seen, God meant for motherhood, for everyone that he meant that for, to be something very very special. God didn't mean for man to lie with man. God didn't mean for woman to lie with woman. Matter of fact, God didn't even mean for man and woman to lie together outside of the sanctity of marriage. His perfect and beautiful plan was for a man and a woman to be joined together as one in that special institution of marriage, through that very special relationship between a husband and a wife, God would work one of the greatest miracles of all time, the birth of a new child, every one of them special, a new creation uniquely designed through that mom and that dad. You see, God designed the family. The only way a family can continue naturally and the only way that a family can reproduce is through God's plan. One man, one woman, a husband and a wife become a mom and a dad. We find that man's sinfulness, getting outside of God's plan, folks, it's nothing new. We've seen in Scripture Jesus Christ died for those sins, though. And you know, even here today, it doesn't matter what's happened in your past. The simple truth is, is that God's waiting today, willing to forgive those sins, not by 
sweeping it under the carpet and just pretending that it didn't happen, but by coming to him, being honest with yourself, being honest with him. You see, I can't even begin to explain his love to you today. I can't even begin to explain that he loved you so much that for you and your sins, for every homosexual out there, for every fornicator, for every adulterer, for every murderer, for any sin that you can name, Jesus Christ died on the cross for those sins. You can't change your past, but you can have a new future, praise God. Every one of you can all be forgiven. And in him, you're a new creature, a new creation, just like that new baby that comes into the world. You're born into God's family. You see, the telling thing in society, folks, it's not that sin is present, but it's when, as we read there in Romans, society begins to accept that sinfulness and not only to accept it, but to actually believe that it's okay to come up with all kind of rational ideas and reasons why it's okay when it blatantly is totally against God's word. More than ever in our lifetime, we are living in that kind of society. Church, I'm saying we've got to be committed. And yes, we need to cooperate together, but we need to be communing in such a way People don't think their sin is okay, but they recognize its awfulness. But they realize that a, that a loving God, that yes, he detests their sin, but he loves them so much that he was willing to die for them. He's ready. He's willing to forgive. He's willing to accept wherever you are, wherever you've been. Continuing in the sin is not the answer. It'll only destroy it will destroy the person, and folks, it will destroy a society. We find that surely as we contend for the faith, if we truly want to be a New Testament church, if we truly want to be Christians that are walking close to him, not swayed by the follies of sin, but a people that are serious about our witness, a witness to the loving grace of God and his forgiveness, the necessity of that forgiveness, the salvation that's ours through the gospel. Let's be true witnesses. Mothers, I salute you today. I honor you today. On this special day to honor you, I pray that you can be reminded that though it may be being torn down and deteriorated and belittled by society and the world around us, God gave you something special. For those of you that are not mothers, you still have a mother that's living. Realize how special that that is. Maybe today, in some little way, you could just be an encouragement to her, to remind her how special she is to you because God made it that way. And you know, you may be here today that your mother is no longer living. But you know, you can still thank God. Thank God for the specialness of your mom. Thank God for the specialness 
of the way that God brought you into this world. You see, motherhood is special. It's one of the most special things in all the world. We find that we need to be reminded to thank God for his glorious, perfect plan. The way that he chose to bring us into this world, his great love, that'll bring you that forgiveness that you need, that'll allow our sins to be forgiven so that, folks, it's not just this world, but that we have life for all of eternity. The Lord loves you this morning. I know. I know that it may sometimes in society seem that we're just a bunch of narrow-minded, strange people. But you see, today, listen, if anything has been to be accomplished for the Lord, it's going to happen through His power, not ours. And we can't change society, but we can stand and contend for the truth of God's Word. And we can love as He loves, teach people that they need to deal with their sin, that God's done everything that's needed to deal with that sin, that today, wherever they've been, whatever they've done, oh, there's a God that loves them so much. Nothing's too big for Him. Nothing's too big for Him. If you're here this morning, if there's something in your life that God has spoken to you about, maybe you've never fully given it over to Him, give it to Him. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to pretend it's not there. Just give it to Him. Ask his forgiveness. He'll forgive you. He's there. He wants you to be forgiven. He doesn't want you to carry that sin around with you. Today, man, woman, boy, or girl, God has a purpose for each of your lives. Motherhood is a great purpose in this life. Whatever God's got for you, that's the greatest purpose that you can ever have. Trust God. Wait on him. Contend for that faith living according to his word. Father, we thank you today, Lord, that as we've looked at these simple truths from your word, I know, Lord, I know that some of it on the one hand, Lord, that we're having to look at the awfulness of society around us that has cheapened motherhood and the sanctity of marriage. But, Lord, thank you for what you've given us special in your word. Thank you for your love and your grace. I pray today, here today, Lord, Lord, that as these truths find a resting place in our hearts, that you speak to each one that which they need to hear from all of this. Help us, Lord, as the people here today, to leave with a greater desire to be your witnesses. Lord, to commune with you, yes, for our ministries, Lord, for our missionaries, for our means of being able to accomplish the work, for men, women, boys, and girls everywhere that need to be saved. And Lord, also, Lord, for motherhood and marriage, the way that you meant for this world to operate, for families to exist. Help us, Lord. Help us to care enough to spend time on our knees communing with you. We'll give you the thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.